I remember the first time that I visited New England. Um, I know it's a shock for some of you. Uh, you're thinking like when I was born. I'm such a native New Englander, right? No, some are laughing, so I'm not quite sure what to do with that. I remember the first time that I visited New England, one of the things on my bucket list was Plymouth Rock. I had grown up learning about Plymouth Rock. I had sung the schoolhouse rock song about Plymouth Rock. Uh, That'll date some of us in the room. Um, Plymouth Rock, I mean, like the epitome of America. And I remember going to see Plymouth Rock and trying to find Plymouth Rock, (laughs) and finally getting to the place where Plymouth Pebble was, (laughs) and was so underwhelmed by the advertisement. Come and let's see Plymouth Rock. You only need one time. Never have to go back and see that thing again. I remember all all the years of my life thinking about going to the Grand Canyon Gosh, I got to get to the Grand Canyon. Can't wait to see the Grand Canyon. Heard so many great things about the Grand Canyon. And then I got to the Grand Canyon this summer, and I was like, wow, this is more unbelievable than anybody ever told me about the Grand Canyon. For those of you who've been there, there is no way to describe the Grand Canyon. It's huge and unbelievably gorgeous and breathtakingly impossible to imagine. I was undersold on the Grand Canyon. I was way oversold on Plymouth Rock. (laughs) Some of you, I already know about you. Yeah, I'm not going to call you out by name, but some of you in this room have already gotten Star Wars tickets. You don't have to wave your hands, but I know about you guys. You're already starting to pull out your old gear. You know, you're going, to be, you're going to be walking in line as Darth Vader or a stormtrooper or a princess Leia. Some of you women are going to curl your hair up again in the, the double buns. You know, it's going to be glorious. My hope for you is that you won't be disappointed like the last installment of the Lord of the Rings movies. That you Star Wars people out there are not... Um, under you know that you're not disappointed, but the likelihood of this movie being as great as you remembered it from 1977, for those of you who saw the first one in the theater when it was came out the first time, it's probably not going to meet up to your expectations. Just want to tell you that. Let's go and see. What is that about expectation? Advent is a season of expectation. It is a season of when we remember as those who were anticipating Christ coming, the Messiah coming on the scene. They were expecting for God's visitation. Expecting that the Messiah would come who would bring peace to the world, who would set everything in order, establish His reign and His rule here on earth, and turn all that was bad into good. To lead us on a journey of salvation. Now the expectations that were, were upon the children of Israel prior to Christ's coming, some of them were accurate and some of them were not accurate as we learn about Jesus and His coming in Scripture. But the expectation was just the same. Emmanuel, come be among us. 
What drives us to go and see Plymouth Rock, Grand Canyon, Star Wars, whatever it is, some massive, I think about the scenes of of the Beatles and these respectable young ladies and young men frothing at the mouth at these four guys walking up on a stage. What? And it happens today, doesn't it? What is it? We're looking for something good. We're looking for something that we hope for. We, we want to see something or somebody that's bigger or greater or more important than ourselves. We could go on and on, couldn't we? But in the context of the Messiah, it's even more than that. I remember when I first encountered the presence of God in a way that was not just personal but corporate. And we call that at times revival. Has anybody ever experienced revival in this setting among many people? But there have been moments of my life, uh, you know, I've had, have had the opportunity to be in multiple settings where the Spirit of God was doing something so phenomenal in people's lives transforming people's lives, setting them free from addiction and sin, healing people physically, creating um, an atmosphere where people wanted to be in the presence of the Lord again and again and again. I remember times at church where we would come back out of a meeting where we, we would say, what just happened? And when can we experience that again? Day after day. Sometimes multiple times during the day, people getting off work to gather gather together again to be in the presence of the Lord, expecting something from Him. Church, would it be possible that in this season of expectation, we would expect God in that way in our life? I was expecting more than that. I was was expecting, yeah! It's like... You know, I, I, I heard a little bit of what you're saying, Pastor. I'm not quite sure yet if I'm bought in. Would it be possible for us, in whatever way that we long, are longing for God, that's Advent, that we wouldn't just go through the motions of getting these four weeks or three weeks now off the calendar and having some really nice religious experience, experiences where maybe we'll have some children sing some fun carols and we'll light a candle. And we'll say, wow, we did it again. Wasn't that beautiful? Love those wreaths. Love all the markings of Christmas. But what if we decided this season, Lord, we want to long again. We want to be filled with you in the same way that Mary was filled. We want to experience your truth in your revelation, in your presence, in your power, in a way that you long for us to experience. Do we agree with that? Do we agree that that would be a good longing, but even more than that, that that is the longing of God? Because that's really a whole different scenario, isn't it? That God would long for us in this Advent season to not just connect with those who anticipated His coming, but to those of us throughout the centuries who have received the Messiah into our life and have been transformed and changed and long for that touch of God again. And long for that touch of God in people's lives that are around us that have never experienced 
the coming of Emmanuel in their life. That's my desire for us. This season, we're going to look at Luke 2, and we're going to explore this thought through the passage of Scripture in Luke of what what does it mean to go and see the Messiah? And what are we going to see? Who is this Messiah that we are going to see as the shepherds did long ago? Would you read with me Luke 2, verses 8 through 20? And prior to 8 through 20, we um, know at the beginning of Luke 2 that this Messiah, Jesus, was born in a manger, in a lowly um, place, in an inn where there was no room, off to the side, um, in a nondescript, not very regal or kingly entrance into this world. Jesus is born. We also know prior to this text of Scripture that there have been some wise men that through their study of the stars and through their pursuit of God and through their reception receptivity to the prophetic Word of God in their lives had decided that this Messiah was going to be born and they went on a long journey, a long journey to find this Messiah. So God spoke to wise men, but he's going to speak to somebody very different on this night of Christ's birth. In verse 8, that night there were shepherds. There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Not just you, but to everybody. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, the city of kings. And you will recognize Him by this sign. There will be great fanfare and trumpeting and a great celebration of regal awesome partying on the top of the temple mound in Bethlehem, I mean in Jerusalem. No? There will be large companies of armies coming from around the world, blowing their trumpets and declaring it has come. No. This is your son. You will recognize you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. This is your Messiah, your King. Verse 13, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. Oh, there's the army. Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's Go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone who had happened, they told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them all. 
the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. These next few weeks, we're going to talk about going and seeing. Going and seeing today the one who brings good news of great joy for all people. Jesus, the Savior of all mankind. Next week, we're going we're gonna to celebrate through worship and song and testimony the one the angels and shepherds praised and sing, sing about, the one the shepherds hurried to see, the one that they told everyone about, this worshipful, uh, expectant, um, evangelistic joy of the Messiah. And then the following week, we'll, we'll talk about the one who brings, we'll go and see the one who brings peace, who brings peace to those on whom his favor rests. Or as we talk about it on Christmas Eve, we'll say the one who brings peace in troubled times. This is the one we go to see, this Messiah, this Savior, this baby in a manger. When God has important things to communicate to his people, often he sends angels. Often in Scripture, there are angelic visitations to proclaim who God is, what God is about. Sometimes He dispatches angels to provide protection. But there's a significance when God sends angels. He's communicating something. He's doing something. We, we don't have to, to think about it long for those of us who have spent any time in the Bible to remember when the angels came and visited Abraham and He pre- prepared a meal for them and They proclaimed um, judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, but they also protected Lot and his family. How an angel appeared to Gideon and encouraged him. How an angel appeared to Daniel in a vision. How an angel appeared to Daniel um, after he had been fasting and praying and communicated that the angels were fighting on behalf of the people of Israel. How an angel appeared to Joseph in his dreams and communicated to him what was going to happen um, many years in advance and kind of um, set him at peace or at least put put those words into his heart before he went through trial um, and journey to become a deliverer or become a place of provision for his people. And then, of course, we know this this story uh, in the New Testament where the angel appears to Mary. And communicates what's going to happen with her. That she will be the mother of Jesus. And how the angel appeared to Joseph and communicated to him as well. And we have these visitations of God. And in this story, we want to remember that this was the most important event of all of history. Both looking back and looking forward. This coming of the Messiah and what he would bring to this world. This was the big one. It was so big it didn't just take an angel, but heaven said, let's bring the choir. Let's bring an angel and then let's bring a host of angels. Can you imagine? I have no idea. Uh, This is not in scripture, but I just know a little bit about party planning. And if you have a big party, you plan. And can you imagine what had been going on in heaven for a long time when they knew this party was coming? There was some planning going on. There was some celebrating going on. Anybody ever plan for a party ahead of time? Part of the party is just the planning. Part of the party is knowing that something great is going to happen. 
The fun in Christmas is not on Christmas morning. As a matter of fact, it's so anticlimactic, especially when the kids play with the wrapping paper more than they play with that $100 gift we buy. But man, the anticipation and the planning of the joy that we might have the opportunity to impart to children and the the dreaming of the smiles and the giggles and the excitement that go on. Am I getting you excited, Naomi? Am I getting you excited? It's coming. That kind of planning. Don't you think that we just are basically taste just a little bit of what was going on in heaven? Ah, that God knew from the beginning of time that he was going to establish a work through his son Jesus that would fully fully accomplish everything in his heart to reconcile sinful men and women like you and me back to himself in full rights and privileges in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That he knew that he had a plan in place, a party in place, that would accomplish that very awesome work. I guarantee you that there was some excited joy in heaven, and probably there was a little bit of standing in line in heaven who got to be on the scene with the shepherds. Can I be a part of the choir? Can I be a part of it? Can I be down there? The greatest event in all of history was about to happen or was happening. Good news of great joy that a Savior has been born. He brought hope to all people, all nations. Do all nations and all people receive the good news of Jesus? No. Do all people experience, as we'll talk about later, the peace upon whom His favor rests? No. But those who receive the good news of Jesus and run to the stable like the shepherds, and worship before the King of Kings like the Magi. These, you and I, those who bow our hearts and our knees before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and say, yes, long-expected King, Messiah, you are my Messiah, you are my Savior, thank you. We experience great joy, good news, and favor from the Lord. These prophetic words of His coming, these promises, had come hundreds of years before His coming. Lee Strobel, in his, his uh, book, The Case for Christmas, he wrote, his first book was called The Case for Christ. But for The Case for Christmas, he says this, more than four dozen major predictions uh, about Jesus' coming were in the Old Testament prophecies. Isaiah revealed the manner of the Messiah's birth of a virgin. Micah pinpointed the place of his birth, Bethlehem. Genesis and Jeremiah specified his ancestry, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the tribe of Judah, the house of David. The Psalms foretold his betrayal, his accusation by false witness, his his manner of death, his resurrection, and on and on. And Jesus didn't merely fulfill these prophecies by accident in being born and living the life he lived, in dying the death that he died, 
and being raised from the dead. It's not a chance. The odds um, are so astronomical that they rule, rule that out. Someone has estimated that the probability of just eight prophecies being fulfilled in one chance is, is one chance in 100 million billion. That number is millions of times greater than the total number of people who have ever walked on the planet. Or another way of putting it, he said, is he calculated that if you took this number of silver dollars, they would cover the state of Texas to the depth of two feet. If you marked one silver dollar among them and then had a blindfolded person wander the whole state, just telling you from being there, it's a big state, and bend down to pick up one coin, what would be the odds he'd choose the one that had been marked? The mathematician Peter Stoner um, said... He estimated that the probability of fulfilling 48 prophecies was one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. I'm not joking. It keeps, I mean, it's like 13 trillions. I used to call that Googleplex or something like that. It's like a lot. And that's a number, I think, or something. Is What is it called? Is it right? Isn't that a number? Yeah, okay, good. It's something you're laughing at me. I mean, I, I ain't no mathematician, but I read that in Webster's once. <laughs> Peter said this in Acts 3.18. He said, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he has fulfilled. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome that the one that we go and see or the one that we are inviting into our lives or wanting to experience or engage in our lives today, that the prophetic words that were spoken about him hundreds of years before he even was born and the life that he lived while he was here on earth is impossible in yours and my standards to be able to fulfill without the work of God. That he is who he says he is. And for some in the room, that'll start you to wonder. For those maybe that might be in the room that are on a journey of trying to discover, is this Jesus really who he says he is? That's one way of thinking about it intellectually. But we also want to pray, God, don't just touch our brains, but touch our lives. Engage us fully, heart, mind, soul, body. Lord, we want to meet you. We want to see you. We want to to be with you. You know, the people of the Old Testament, I like the way that Hebrews describes their longing for the Messiah. And I don't like it from the way, I don't like it as I think about what they went through, but it shows me just how important the coming of the Messiah, the longing of God was for people before he even came. How much more do I need to say? Hebrews 11, verse 32. It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from the dead. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Can I pause here for a second? Right now, in our world, and I'm going to keep on reading, but I want to pause there. Right now, in the Middle East, 
There are stories of men and women who have found Jesus, who are captured by ISIS, and under the proclamation of their faith in Jesus, are tortured, but many of them are killed. And there are stories of men and women going to their death fully confident and at peace with their Savior Jesus. And because of their love and zeal and passion for Jesus and ability to stare death in the face, there are numbers of people, reports are are coming out, numbers of people within ISIS who are secretly and or publicly coming to know Jesus because of their faith. Now, I can't even fathom. Can I just say that? I have no idea how I'd respond if a sword was at my neck. But I happen to believe that the same power and grace that raised Jesus Christ from the dead would be upon me because of my love and my relationship with my Savior Jesus Christ. We read in Hebrews as they anticipated the Messiah. They were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. We hear about those things today, don't we? All over the world. In Africa, it's happening as well. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. And what is that something better? Jesus. The coming Messiah. Can I just, we, we, we worshiped and prayed this morning, and I'm, I'm going to rouse you here for a second for those of you who are a little bit um, weary because of the heat in the room, or maybe the late night last night. We have the opportunity, and many of us, most of us in this room, have experienced the living Messiah, the long-expected King. We have experienced Him. We have met Him. We have had our lives touched by Him. These men and women didn't even have a chance for that. They were just longing for the opportunity or the possibility that He would come about. And they still held on to to the point of death. How much more should we live with zeal and expectation and longing day by day, minute by minute, that Jesus would come alive in us today? And live through us today. And not just so that we can have some kumbaya experience in a tent. That we would be so transformed that we, it changes the way that we see each other. That it changes the way that we see out here. We're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks because it is upon us. But we have a crazy thing going on in our world today. And it's in the name of religion. But that's not the God I know. But I also want to say that we as a people can't live in fear. 
Because it's the absolute message of the enemy that he wants to put upon you in the world. To be afraid and to live as if we have no hope. Hebrews right here said of these people, they were willing because they had a hope in a future to come. We have a hope today. We have a love and a forgiveness and a grace to extend today. And God forbid that any of us would experience tragedy, but there are believers throughout the world right now that are experiencing tragedy. And they're holding on to Jesus because of the real present life of God that's in them. Could we tap into that today and be transformed with the good news of great joy that he brings us? We know that many are still waiting for a Messiah. They're still waiting for a Savior in this world. They're still waiting for a breakthrough. Some of them aren't thinking it's Jesus. They're just looking for something. They're looking for all those numbers on the Powerball to to come their way. Right? That's their Messiah. You go go by a Kino shop in any part of this city, and you'll see, I used to work across the street from one, and the same five or six people were in there every day just believing that one day they were going to make the money they need to find their Savior. Financial breakthrough or resources. We're looking for it through a scientific discovery, some great healing that would heal all diseases. We've got our very own government that's on a, on a lots of money, I don't know what the actual number is, plan to find life on other planets. Why are we so excited about finding life on other planets? Maybe it's just kind of cool scientific discovery. Or maybe we're looking for the meaning of life. Why are we here? Why is the caliphate so important to ISIS, to establishing this rule and reign here on earth? Because they have put their hope in this plan or this plan. We're all looking. Some of us have truly found our Savior. And it is what the Scripture spoke of him about even prior to his coming. Two things, that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 7, verse 14. All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive with the child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The name itself is shocking, isn't it? We've come used to it because we've sung the Christmas hymn so many times. God with you? God with you in your kitchen? God with you on, in your car? God with you at work? God with you in your world? God with you in your mind? God forbid. Or at least in my mind. These imperfect, frail, sin-marred, groping people. God said, I want to come and visit them and live among them. John 1 describes it as him putting up his tent among us. Of him becoming a tent among us. Have you really thought about that? 
pause here for a second so you'd really think about it. The God who created the universe, the whole plan rested on him coming and being with you and me and making a way in the darkness. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. Wait a minute. Jesus is the Powerball numbers. But not so that he can promise us millions of dollars, but so that he can promise us riches in heaven forevermore. A rich relationship, a prosperous relationship with him forever and evermore. He's not distant. Emmanuel, we can know him intimately. He's not unapproachable, but approachable. He wants us to draw near, and he wants to draw near to us. He is present in our time of need. Who has needs in this room? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, wake up. Who has needs in this room? (laughs) Hallelujah! We all have needs in this room, and we all have need, we all have need of God, our Savior, to come alongside of us and rescue us, provide for us, but more than any of that, we need Him to come alongside of us and be with us, however He chooses to resolve the situation. Amen? We're not sitting in front of a, instead of a, in, in front of a, we're not sitting in front of a Coke machine God. God, you're really good if you deliver for me the goods. No, you're really good because you're Emmanuel and you're with me in this storm. And sometimes you still the storm. Sometimes you give me the, the opportunity to endure, but you're with me. You're not out there directing things. You're not indifferent. You're not unapproachable. You're not the God that we can't even pronounce your name. You are the Emmanuel God, the one that draws near and is is concerned about the very intricacies of my life, my thoughts, my desires, my dreams. And you want to be right there in the middle of it. Do you want that Jesus in your life? He's offering today. He's also a Savior King. He's a rescuer, a deliverer. That would have been, to, to, to say of Jesus that he was a savior would have been very offensive in Roman days because that was, was, was reserved for the deities, for the gods. And that's exactly what they were saying. He was the savior, the Christ, the king, and the anointed one. He was the one that was appointed to set people free, and he was the one to be our Lord. And our master, but a good Lord, 
a gracious king. Isaiah 9 prophesied this about him. For a child is to be born to us, a son is to be given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called, what? Wonderful counselor. Say it with me. Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And what? His government and its peace will never end. Will never end. This is what? Good news. This is great joy that we have a king who is mighty, wonderful, peace, peaceful, loving, who is willing to become a servant and to empty himself from his heavenly form, to take on the form of a human, to be among you and me, to live our life, to get dirt on his hands, to get dirt on his feet, to get into the messiness of our life and not draw back and judge, but to say, you know what we're going to We're going to make it. But Jesus, I am dirty. I am sinful. I am a failure. I keep on doing... We're going to make it. I'm not leaving you. We're walking this thing through. We're getting out of here. We're moving on. We're going to make it, Sean. But God, you don't understand. I'm not like you. You're perfect. I can't do the things that you do. I can't be the way... You're right, you can't be, but I'm with you. And I'm going to help you. And I'm going to walk with you. And I'm going to wake up with you. And I'm going to be during the day with you. And I'm going to go to to sleep beside you. And I'm never going to leave you or forsake you is what the scripture says. He didn't just invite us into something that he said, okay, go and do it. I hope you succeed. But he said, okay, you invited me in. You can't get away from me. You can't wash me off your hands. You can't wash me out of your life. I'm not leaving you. I'd like for you to leave right now. I'd like to do some things I don't think you'd want me to do. I'm not leaving you. You mean you're going to stay right here with me in the middle of this ugly stuff? Yeah, I'm not going to like it. But I'm not leaving because I'm not going to leave you to the hands of the enemy. I'm going to be your rescuer and your deliverer, even when you make stupid choices. I'm talking to myself right now. Even when you make stupid choices. You say, quit looking at me. I make stupid choices. Do not be afraid because I bring good news. Bam, why don't you come on up? So we need a Savior, and it's good news. Do you need good news today? Thanks, Di. We all need good news. But there might be somebody in this room that needs the good news. The news that the party was planned for. The news that the angels declared. You need great joy. And this might be your day. I pray that it is your day where all these things that you've been pondering, you wouldn't be here today if there wasn't something that was longing in your heart to know if Jesus really is true. You could have, you could have gone to in, the, in a pickle today. You might have gotten a better meal. But you decided to go a couple blocks more and come into this church might be, and I believe it is, God's initiation in your life to come to you, Emmanuel, to bring you great joy and good news, that a Savior was born over 2,000 years ago, that a Savior walked this earth perfectly and sinlessly so that a Savior, Jesus, could die on the cross and pay the penalty for your 
mess-ups and screw-ups and sin. And the Savior rose from the grave and defeated that sin and is sitting in authority and majesty in heaven right now and is still that same Jesus that comes to you and says, I want you in my life. I want to live with you. I want to walk this thing out with you. Would that be you this morning? If that's you, I want to, as we are responding here at the end, to pray a prayer for you. And then if I have the privilege of meeting you afterwards, I'd love to talk to you. But what about the rest of us? Do you want Jesus to come alive in a fresh way today in your life? Do you want the revival of God in your life? Then how about we respond expectantly today for where we have need? where you might be lonely or discouraged or broken or fearful or whatever. Jesus, would you come along?